day and welcome to the Cincy Slangin' Bearcat Podcast. I'm Coomer, and it's just me for a quick introduction for our special guest today. Yes, we know there are lots of rumors swirling around about Luke Fickle, Marcus Freeman, Notre Dame, Cincinnati, who will be coaching who, what's going to happen. Look, more importantly, the Houston Cougars are traveling to Cincinnati, Ohio this week for the American Athletic Conference Championship game at Nippert Stadium. For the Bearcats, an opportunity to go 13-0, to win back-to-back American Athletic Conference championships, and, most importantly, an opportunity to play in the college football playoff. An opportunity to compete for and win a national championship for the University of Cincinnati. For the Houston Cougars, an opportunity to play spoiler. An opportunity to potentially sneak their way into a New Year's Six Bowl game. Who knows? So, for this podcast episode, we welcomed on Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast, which is a Houston Cougars podcast dedicated to all things Houston Cougars sports. Sam was awesome on this appearance, gave us tons of insight into the Houston Cougars football team, their strengths, their weaknesses, what to expect in the game. I thought it was a fun conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Make sure you also check out their podcast because this was a home and home of sorts where Hummer and I did an interview for their podcast as well that's a little bit more Bearcats-centric. Uh, this one gets much more into the Houston team so that you, you know, for all intents and purposes, Cincinnati Bearcats fans can get to know more about their team leading up to the most important game in Cincinnati Bearcats football history. No big deal. Final note, we do also talk to our good friend, Sam Elliott, at the end of this podcast to obviously talk about the lines of the week and allocate our units accordingly. Let's get into it. Without further ado, Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast. We are now joined by Sam Raz of the Scott and Holman podcast covering Houston Cougars athletics. Sam, thanks for joining the Cincy Slang and Bearcat podcast today. Thanks for having me, fellas. Great to finally talk with y'all. It, we've, I've been circling this day for, for many months, many, you know, even years at this point, Sam, but we've, we've looked at your podcast as sort of like a beacon on the hill, a light on the hill of sorts uh, for independent fan podcasts. And given the upcoming Houston versus Cincinnati matchup in the American Athletic Conference championship game in football, it felt like a good time to finally connect and get together on the podcast. So we fortunately did not jinx it. I know weeks in advance, we sort of, uh, we started talking about doing this. Neither team lost, neither team blew it. Here we are ready for a, a conference championship meetup in, in a few days. Yeah. Very excited. Very, very flattered. Uh, all the stuff you guys have. I mean, really, really glad we uh, finally got to connect here and do a show and really, and really, of course, glad that neither of our teams, uh, teams blew it and were uh, not get the Houston Cincy matchup that I think we both expected uh, probably about the beginning of the month. That's right. That's right. So before, you know, I, I think there's a number of paths we can take this. And I imagine, you know, I want to venture a little bit maybe into basketball toward the end if we can. Sure. Uh, there might be some big picture conversations. 
uh, involving the, the college football playoff and, and implications this game will have on it, but also maybe what we're going through right now as a program, because um, I'm, I'm sure you're aware the, uh, the situation is tenuous at best right now in terms of how the fan base is feeling. There are people on, on the extremes of both sides. Maybe tenuous is the wrong word, Hummer. You're giving me a look. Uh, but how, how would you describe I would, it? I would describe it as uh, unnecessary. Just this whole situation that Bearcat fans seem to be going to is just unnecessary. Our coach hasn't even left yet. Like, come on, guys. We still got a game to play on Saturday. Let's focus on let's right. focus on what's important. No, we're both we're both generally relaxed about it. I'm just saying that there's people that have anxiety and, and, and tension about this whole matter. But um, sports fans, anxiety, tension. You, you, you're losing me over here, guys. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Very true. Very true. So, Sam, tell me, maybe maybe set us up a bit by talking about where the Houston Cougars ended up this season from a football standpoint, because uh, I'm trying to think back to, to preseason predictions and where the Cougars would end up and how this season would play out. You know, our, our boy Brett McMurphy was predicting Central Florida to win the American. The Bearcats were a heavy favorite for a lot of folks. What were the expectations coming into the season for you as a Houston Cougars fan? I think this Houston Cougars season has been a good lesson in not ejecting on a team too early. I think in the preseason, you know, the predictions were kind of all over the place. You know, there were some reasons for optimism. I think you saw the brief window in 2020 where everyone in defense was healthy. You saw drastic improvement over what were just quite frankly, disastrously bad defenses in 2018 and 2019 from this program. And yet, you know, after the Texas tech game, you know, you saw just about everything you didn't want to see. I think, you know, Holgerson had talked a big game in the preseason about how if Clayton Toon in his third year here wasn't demonstrably better as a quarterback, you know, that says everything he needs to say about him as a coach. And it's just like, well, Clayton Toon goes out and throws four interceptions in Texas Tech. And we're just like, well, we're, we seem to be seeing your ability as a coach right there. And then promptly in the next 11 games, Clayton Toon has looked like the you know fourth year college quarterback, third year in the system quarterback you were kind of expecting a guy who we already knew had the toughness. He had the intangible, you know, leadership kind of buy-in from his teammates, but you know, you hadn't really seen the decision-making progress and you've seen it this year again, admittedly against, I would say 11 teams where there's not a really strong win in there, but you know, you've seen, you've seen the the tools that Clayton two had in terms of the, you know, the intangible stuff, the, the toughness, the, you know, leadership, blah, 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 blah. And you saw that finally translate into a complete division one quarterback, a guy who could do all the things that maybe you'd hope to in the preseason. And the defense was everything. I think it was hyped up to be even in the Texas tech game, uh, a pretty forgettable performance overall. I think very little of that uh, in terms of the negative takeaways from that game was really on the defensive side of the ball that Houston, you know, you'd started to see a deep defensive line group of guys, you know, develop last year was, headlined by now current New Orleans Saint uh, Peyton Turner. You saw all the guys behind Peyton Turner last year really, really develop, really look like third or fourth year guys in this system. So, you know, I think really in the preseason, the predictions were all over the place. I think some people were pretty optimistic. Some people said, well, this team won seven games the prior two seasons. What, you know, what can you really expect this season? And I think, I think this regular season in totality kind of proved why you don't make real strong judgments about a team after week one that, you know, week one, especially is going to be kind of volatile in terms of results in terms of, you know, really making a, I guess a good idea of 
what a team is going to be in a season. So, yeah, I think I think this season was a reminder that you know you don't you don't make any judgments after one game. You also don't make any really big judgments on a coaching staff after one or two seasons. And that patience at this program that's notoriously impatient, at least for G five programs, sometimes I think pays off. There's always there's that saying about not judging a team on its best day or worst day. And it's exactly. hard it's hard sometimes as fans to to resist the temptation of, oh wow, look, we you know, the the most recent example is the Cincinnati Bearcats basketball team beating Illinois by 20. Well, are we a team that's going to beat top 15 teams with with consensus All-Americans by 20 every night? Probably not. So you, you need to find somewhere in that middle ground to really properly assess things and be pragmatic about the, the situation. Are exactly. You sure we thought that. Are you sure? I pretty. I'm pretty sure we thought the next night we were coming back and just whooping Arkansas. <laughs> we did. We did expect that. So you mentioned this team leaning heavily on a defense that did come in with some level of expectations. I believe your Twitter handle right now reflects a Heisman campaign for you, for the most uh, acclaimed member of that defense, Marcus Jones. It, it, this matchup in in itself does seem to have a lot of rock stars on the defensive side of the ball. Tell us a little bit about Marcus for Bearcat fans who are less familiar with this name. Uh, five interceptions on the season. He's he's made a huge uh, push here toward the end of the year to to become an acclaimed Heisman candidate, uh, according to your Twitter feed at least. So tell us more about Marcus. I would say almost you know calling him calling him a defensive player. I think almost doesn't do it justice because he's literally he's played in all three phases. He has a touchdown. I would say actually I don't know if he has a pick six, but. He has an t- offensive and special teams touchdown this year. I think coming to the season, we knew Marcus Jones was going to be a great return guy. He was a great return guy his first two years of college ball at Troy. I want to say he had four or five return touchdowns his first two years of the Trojans, came here, sat out the 2019 season, and then last year immediately slotted in not only is the Cougars' number two corner, but you know the return guy, DeJour, the guy you know, you're going to send out there for punt returns and kick returns. The guy who's going to be – at the top of pretty much every opponent scouting report, I believe he he didn't house a kick return in his first game last year against Tulane, but he came really close. I remember he also fumbled a return, but I remember after watching that Tulane game last year, I thought, okay, this guy is special. This guy is going to do a lot of stuff when he has the ball in space. And it's kept up just as much this year. He is, if anything, improved as a return guy, which is which is wild considering yeah, this, this, this is a guy who came into the season with, I think, a half dozen return touchdowns. I believe he's tied right now for the NCAA all-time kick return mark. And he's also, I think, this year, last year he certainly showed that he was going to be an upgrade at the number two cornerback position, I think, going to the 2019 season. I think there were a lot of glaring misses by the previous coaching staff, but I think the most glaring was that they literally left Holgerson with zero Division one caliber corners. I think signed Demarion Williams on... I think the night of the spring signing day in 2020 or just 2019, excuse me. And he immediately with zero divisional experience became your number one cornerback. And I think that year, that 2019 season, Holgerson's first season, pretty much every team's number two receiver had a career game against us. Cause we just did not have a division one cornerback that wasn't Demarion Williams. And Marcus Jones did make that better immediately last year, but I wouldn't say last year he was an outstanding cover corner. And I think the big development this year, and this might have helped that for the first four or five games of this season, Holgerson really primarily used Jones as an offensive and return guy. I think some of that was your early schedule consists of teams like Rice and 
Grambling and Navy, which really aren't going to really do much in terms of passing offense. And you can, you can run your, you know, third and fourth choice corners out there and, you know, get, get them more reps than you might otherwise. Uh, so maybe that left Jones a bit fresher, but really in the second half of this season, as teams have started to figure out, Hey, maybe I need to kick away or punt away from Marcus Jones. You've really seen how good of a corner guy uh, he can be just great cover guy. I think he's top 10 or top five now. And I, I loathe to use this uh, periodical or outlet that much, but pro football focus seems to think he's one of the best five or 10 corners in the country. And I would say, I wouldn't say it's gospel, but I would say that probably is some kind of indicator of, you know, his ability there. So I think, that's the really exciting thing that he's this electric return guy. I think he's going to be playing on Sundays because he's an electric return guy, but I think he's made that a lot more of a simple case for a team to draft him that he's shown that he has next level ability as a cover corner too. He's not the biggest guy, but not afraid to stick his helmet in there. And I think really gives the Cougs a, a number one and number two at cornerback that we can feel comfortable about for really the first time, probably since the 2016 season. It's been a while since we've had a return guy with this type of name recognition kind of hit the scene. I feel like, you know, Devin Hester is the obvious answer. Dante Hall for a bit uh, were guys who are just so electric with the ball in their hands. I went and checked while you're talking six career kickoff touchdowns for a touchdown, 1983 return yards on kickoffs. I don't have context or perspective uh, on what that means. It just seems like a lot of return yards. Um, and then punt, punt returns, he's had three touchdowns there as well. So uh, quite the explosive athlete. If we're talking about a weakness on the Cincinnati Bearcats team, special teams has certainly not been a strength. Uh, making a field goal has proven difficult recently. I'd say the good news, maybe the silver lining of a, a weaker special teams, is that um, our kickers have been solid at kicking the ball out of bounds on kickoffs. So that c- could be kind of a natural build-in to – keeping the ball away from Marcus Jones on, on kick returns. The, well, I think the you're selling, I think you're selling a special teams a little short there. Yeah. We can't kick field goals, but we have <laughs> excellent kickoff coverage and ex, excellent coverage. I mean, hell it's, that's a, we've won a few games on recovering on recovering fumbles by the opposite team. I don't know what our kickers do, but putting a weird spin on the ball, but people seem to have a hard time catching it against us. Uh, so I don't, I don't think you're doing justice to the full special teams. You know, there's two sides of special teams there. Sure, sure, sure. Not being fair. Uh, Marcus Jones was responsible for, I would say, one of the plays of the season in college football against SMU. Take us take us to that night, Sam. Where were, where were you? How were you watching? And, and maybe describe describe what transpired for, for people listening. So I was actually at my first U of H game since COVID. I, uh, I live out west now. I actually you know, made, made the great and completely coincidental decision to move out here uh, the week everything uh, went to hell. Uh, about 19 months ago. So it was, it was my first game back. I, I actually was catching the game with a couple of buddies, guys, not U of H fans, but guys we've had on the podcast before they were in Houston. We met up and watched the game, met up with a bunch of friends, did the usual, you know, alumni back on campus kind of thing. And I joked to one of those, those friends, I said, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to jump on this chair and start screaming when he houses this for a touchdown. And I was, to be clear, I was completely tongue in cheek. I was just like, ah, I got kicked to him. They're probably a, kick it, you know, kick it out of the end zone or squib it or something like that. And as soon as the kickoff went in the air, I thought, Oh, they're going to, they're going to kick to him. That's, that's kind of interesting. And as my brain was finishing this, the word interesting about the 25, 30 yard line, I see Marcus Jones has a lot of green grass in front of him. And it was just like, I, my brain was just like, no, 
it can't be. And then kind of all once realized about 50, 60 yards to go, they're not catching him. This is, this is going to be it. And I uh, promptly jumped to my chair and started screaming because uh, I knew that that was going to win the game. And I would say, I wouldn't say this team is our, our biggest rival historically, maybe even at present time, but there's a little bit of bad blood between Houston and SMU. I, I, I don't have very much nice to say about SMU. I was very, very satisfied when they were not one of the schools to uh, be joining us here in the Big 12 in a couple of years. So that I think just made it that much sweeter. It was already, you know, a win over a top 25 team. Uh, the most legitimate win that Dana Holgerson's had since he's gotten here, a win that, you know, I think finally showed some proof of concept that this team, you know, this team could be good under this coaching staff. It wasn't just this team you know, beating up tomato cans necessarily, but just, I think a really exciting moment. What I'm going to remember until my dying days. And I think an appropriate ending to what was a very exciting game before that. I think that moment vaults that into, I think one of the games of the college football season generally, but yeah, we'll note that even before that was a very good, exciting back and forth kind of game. SMU had a return touchdown of their own. Tanner Mordecai played quite well. Clayton Toon played quite well. It was, a really good one before that. And I think that that moment right there kind of vaulted into instant classic stats, certainly instant classic. If you're a, if you're a U of H fan, if you're an SMU fan, you probably want to forget it. I, I just, I find it very funny. Every time I see Sonny Dykes getting you know introduced and how he's going to build this recruiting monster. I'm just like, uh, first off, kind of hard curse guys. Yes. Sure. It's just like, Oh, this, this guy's gonna be the answer to TC. This, this fucking idiot that uh, kicked to Marcus <laughs> Jones uh, with the game on the line. Again, not that I minded that decision. So watching that game on TV, obviously, because wasn't making the trek down to Houston for it, but nope. <laughs> literally right before he kicks it off, the broadcast goes, you know, if I were Sonny Dykes, I would not be kicking this ball off right now. I would be kicking it away. And uh, he goes, oh, my God, he kicked it to him. And he goes, oh, my God, he's going, he's gone. It's like you knew it immediately. As soon as he caught the ball, you're like, wow, wow, I can't believe this is happening. Yeah, and it, it, there was there was I think less than thirty seconds left in the game, so I mean even if you kick it out of bounds there, it would have it would have taken some doing for the Cougs to uh, even get that thing in field goal range and win it. But uh, again, not certainly not complaining about his decision to do that, but uh, still still can't my, wrap my mind around deciding. You know, yeah, I think we're gonna we're gonna kick it to Marcus Jones. We're gonna we're gonna put this game on the line against you know one of the country's most dynamic return men. Well, we all still get to be nightmares for for Sonny Dykes, which is, which is a positive, assuming he stays at TCU. So we get to, to live, live rent free in his brain, uh, both Cincinnati and Houston. Of course. Um, you mentioned the fact that, that you're not the biggest fan of SMU. It's pretty crowded down there in Texas. I mean, is there a Texas program that you, you have taken a liking to that's not Houston or is it pretty, is, is it pretty, uh, uncomfortable between all those schools? There's a little bit of, um, I have my weird specific beefs with uh, just about every school, but I would say, and even this school, I have very small beefs with, but uh, UTSA, UTSA is pretty cool. As much as I don't want to stick around the American any longer, I think that was actually a good ad. I think, I think they have some things they need to work on, but I think considering that they didn't have a football program 10 years ago, that they are where they are in terms of the team, in terms of fan support, I think, I, I, I dig them. I've gotten to tailgate with UTSA fans. Um, so I, I, would, I would answer that question with uh, UTSA. I, it can't be UTEP because just the, sharing the time with them in Conference USA and just all the nightmare losses to them that shouldn't have happened, uh, it's certainly not going to be UTEP. 
you mentioned the um, you mentioned Pro Football Focus, and I, and I don't I don't want to put too much stock in it either, but it is a fun way of sort of getting an idea of how how teams perform in different aspects and different phases of the game. Like I I actually think it's pretty fair with the Bearcats, where you can kind of see that that offensive line play has not been the best, or it's maybe it's it's just not the strongest unit for us compared to a secondary uh, that's one of the most dominant in the country. Um, I'm, I'm kind of looking at Houston's defense and it seems like game in game out from, from a run defense standpoint, it's been a pretty strong unit. You know, there's not a lot of like competition and box scores that you can really look at and say, well, how would the Bearcats fare in this situation? Because again, this has been a pretty rough year for the American athletic conference. If you're going to, if you're kind of looking at it from the opponent's standpoint and saying, I'm uncomfortable. I'm at my most uncomfortable when the, when the other team is doing blank against our defense, how, how can teams attack this Houston defense? I think I would answer your question there. The fill in the blank, getting the ball out quickly. That that's something I, to use one example in the immediate aftermath of SMU game. And to some extent, this is probably, you know, there, there was probably some, some letdown there after an incredibly emotionally charged game top tw- the, this program's first top 25 win in a couple of years you didn't really look the best against uh, USF the following week in Tampa and I think some part of that you know taking away the you know some letdown there was USF game planned really well to get the ball quickly I mean I I, I like Timmy McLean there I think he's a guy that's gonna be pretty good long term but they did a good job with him you know moving him using his mobility to move around the pocket and getting the ball out quickly there weren't very many if any passes where it was more than a two or three count before Timmy McLean had the ball out or had decided to tuck and run. So I think that's, that's a scary thing to me is that I think what U of H does really well is rush the passer and rush the passer as a team. It's not, it's not a one guy. I think it's not just Logan Hall. It's not just D Anthony Jones or David and or Derek Parrish. It's very much a, a group effort, but I think regardless of individual or group effort, if, if Desmond Ritter is getting the ball out quickly, if, Mike Dembrock is giving Desmond Ritter a lot of quick decisions to make that kind of neutralize U of H being a pretty good passing threat. You know, I, I think that was what, that would be what really would scare me as a Cougar fan, as, as someone who, you know, has, has a bias to see U of H do well in this one is a, is an offensive game plan that really neutralizes U of H's ability to rush the pass neutralizes that sack Avenue defensive line group that I think has done so well for the Cougs this year. It's actually music to my ears because I, the hope is that that's where Des Ritter's, in my opinion, that's where his, his strong suit is, is being able to get the ball out quickly, quick decisions, uh, getting him involved in the run game. But I feel like his accuracy is better with those short passes and that the receivers we have, their skill sets are such that getting the ball in Trey Tucker's hands early and, and quickly makes sense when you look at his speed, his quickness and how well he does in space. So ideally we see that, uh, but the play calling in general is a bit hit or miss with the Bearcats. Like we could, you could see games where we are going downfield a lot more. And sometimes it makes sense when you have a big receiver like Alec Pierce and, and Desbitter can be more accurate downfield. Now um, it's, it, it makes sense to sprinkle it in, but building a game plan around that can be frustrating at times. I would say Hummer Hummer. What's what say you, <laughs> I mean, you're hitting it. Uh, Denbrock. Sometimes we joke that our offense looks like high school offense. You know, power, power, run up the middle, power, run up the middle, uh, b- throw the ball downfield, 
and and go three and out or it's this or it can be this you know super dynamic play calling where we're running jet sweeps we're running wheel routes with jerome ford we're we're hitting alec pearson in stride or, or lenny taylor down 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 the streaking down the middle of the field you know so it just really depends but one thing that is kind of a, a common theme is when we are running some of those those deeper passes you don't see desmond ritter lingering in the pocket too much he has the ability to scramble really well though and, and extend plays when needed and that's where he gets that's where he can get dangerous in beating teams because once he starts running if, if you give him you know five five ten yards you know he can cover that with two steps uh, he, he has incredibly long strides and he can move, he can get going really quickly. So, I mean, it is kind of, that is his strong suit to get the ball out quickly. He's, he's also better when he's in rhythm. Um, if, if he's starting to get flustered and he's not being able to run the ball, he's not, he's not being able to mix in his own kind of style there. Then he, he seems to get flustered. His accuracy goes downhill and, uh, and he gets a little more questionable in, in his decision-making. So that's probably where, you know, we're hoping that our game plan is the one that you just you just mentioned is is quick decisions with Des Ritter. And it's not perfect either. You know, U of H has been burned by some teams on deep balls this year, so it's you know it's not like it's not like a, a short passing game is necessarily the you know the Rosetta Stone to unlock the Cougar defense. But yeah, like in, in terms of what in terms of what would really really I think concern me is a game plan that doesn't give U of H a chance to positively change the game with its defensive line. I was taking a look at the the box score from last year to kind of refresh my memory on how this game went. You know, Bearcats won that game at Nippert Stadium, 38-10. Um, and it's a game where the, the, the Bearcats ran 39 times for 342 yards. Uh, primarily, you know, Dokes had a 184, Ritter ran for 103. It's not necessarily, you know, something that I imagine you, I don't expect the same type of game script and year over year, how do you think those things have been addressed? So can the Bearcats come in with that same line of attack where it's conservative, we're only throwing the ball 25 times and we're able to run it 35, 40 times? Because I imagine if that's what happens, that's, a, that's the worst case possible outcome for Houston. Yeah, so I would say, and last year's since the U of H game, and I also say for U of H the week prior to that when uh, we hosted uh, UCF and UCF uh, pretty easily took the Cougars apart, it was a nice... I think demonstration there of what the Cougar defense was like without Donovan Mutant, who's been the Cougar starting middle linebacker since 2019. We got some good news this past week. Cougar fans did. Uh, he had went down with a really scary injury in the Memphis game. He got, you know, strapped to the gurney and everything and just like really wasn't looking great. And, and thankfully it turned out just to be a concussion. He was held out last week against UConn because it's UConn. And, <laughs> but you know, last year you can really, you really look at the Cougar defense in 2020 and you kind of put a line, you know, between the Tulane game and the Navy game. And then the, um, I want to say the UCF game was the game immediately after that. And the UCF game at the end of the season, you saw two very different Cougar defenses. You still saw, even after Donovan mutant went out last year with the season ending injury, you still saw a Cougar defense that against inferior opponents was at least able to keep them, keep them in check and win games that way against, you know, your, your USFs and your navies, but you saw against good offenses, you know, your Cincinnati, your UCF last year. Without Donovan Mutant, the Cougars really, really didn't have a good enough run defense to keep an opponent that really wanted it to run down their throat from doing just that. And while I wouldn't wouldn't say that Cincinnati couldn't possibly 
win this game by running down the Cougars throw because the Cincy offense this year had shown in flashes an ability to do that at a high level. I think Donovan Mutant being back, I think the defensive front generally being a year older and, you know, I think better for it from last year. I, I don't know if Cincy can win this game passing in the teens or low twenties. Do, do I think since he can win it with like a 50, 50 game plan? Yeah, absolutely. Especially, especially with y'all's defense, quite honestly, given how good y'all's defense has been and given how U of H specifically matches up with the Cincy defense, you may be able to get away with playing a conservative game plan still, you know, winning a 24 to 14 kind of game. But if I was designed to attack this Cougar defense with this current group, I don't know if I would expect to run the ball 40, 50 times a game and not make it unnecessarily close. I, th- I think I think it behooves Mike Dembrock and the Cincy offensive brain trust to maybe be a little more balanced. Don't think that you can win this game simply by you know lining up and running between the tackles. I, I think I think it's it's very winnable. I think Cincy is justifiably a double digit favorite in this one, but I, I don't think. I don't think you can run that kind of game plan and not make this thing closer than it, it needs to be from a Cincy perspective. And, and Cincinnati was a different offensive line unit that last year too, right? James yep. Hudson in the pros. I mean, that was just, it was a much stronger unit that was able to push and bully people. It's also what gave you know Desmond Ritter so much time last year in the pocket. So you, you kind of, uh, you teased out this, this uh, Houston offense for Cincinnati defense matchup our defense is sort of like this built-in stalwart that we have very little stress or angst about these days. Although we did have this funny four game stretch um, that I like mentioning now in every single podcast because of how much strange anxiety we felt during matchups against Navy and Tulane and Tulsa and South Florida. But we we did have a a stretch there where we couldn't stop the run tune. You mentioned his success and his progression and the fact that he looks so much more comfortable and, in Holgerson's offense here in year three, um, it seems like you've been leaning more on a passing attack. Is that where your anxiety comes into play when, when thinking about tune versus the secondary? Yeah, to an extent, I think, I think the staff, if they had their druthers, we'd be averaging 30 or 40 more yards uh, uh, on the ground per game. I think the run game it's, it's improved. And I think Alton McCaskill is, is the guy, if you're a Cougar fan, you're really excited about in the future. I mean, the guy already has 17 total touchdowns as a true freshman. And when you see him on the field, he doesn't look like a lot of 18, 19 year olds playing college ball right now, but it is also a statement that you're running back. Number one, and you're running back number one by decent margin uh, was playing high school ball last year. Although I, I like Tazon Henry. I like how he's developed. And he's a, he's a smaller guy, five, seven, five, eight, and he's somewhat useful in the past game, but I don't know if he's someone you feel really really comfortable running 25, 30 times a game generally, but certainly not running 25 or 30 times a game at the Cincy defensive front. Um, so I would say the staff wants to be balanced. I don't know if the it's improved, but I don't know if the running game is where they want to be. And I, th- I think really that's about the offensive line as much as anything. It's improved this year. The Cougars it had a really absurd stretch. I think it was like 14 or 15 different uh, lineups of five guys up front in Holgerson's first 20 games here. I mean, I think if you want to point to any reason why it was pretty slow starting here, the, the recruiting that position wasn't the best under Tom Herman or major Applewhite. And even, even taking out that recruiting, you never had the same five guys in the same five slots up front. And that's, that's like having a car with a bad engine. You're, you're never going to get past that. If you don't have that stability 
up front. And you kind of alluded to it with uh, with Cincy's offense last year versus this year and contrasting those two units. So I, I think I think I would feel a lot more I would never feel comfortable playing a Cincinnati team that's 12 and 0 and has been top five for pretty much the entirety of the season under any circumstance. So it's all relative, but I would say I'd be more comfortable if the run game had shown more, more ability against the more high level opponents to consistently move the ball as great as that SMU game was the Cougar running game basically produced nothing that that was, that game was entirely Clayton tune and timely return. So if you wanted to you know, point to my biggest concern offensively, believe it or not, even though, even though this matchup doesn't, uh, doesn't make me feel great. I'm less concerned about the Cougar passing game versus the Bearcats secondary as I am just the fact that I don't know if this team can create a run game. And if you're one dimensional against Cincinnati defense, it's, it's game over. It's, it's, it's not going to happen for you. You're not going to be the first team to win a game at Nippert stadium since 2017. If you're, if you're not going to be some kind of balanced and as much as I think this team is so much better in that regard than the previous two iterations of U of H football under Dana Holgerson, I'm, I'm not wildly confident right now. And, the ability to do something as, as foundational as creating a run game. And against this defense, you absolutely have to have to do that to even consider winning. Holgerson's been pretty bent out of shape about having to play at Nippert stadium too. He's, he's, he's been talking about it quite a bit. At least those in the Cincinnati media, we've been, we've been picking up on it. A few comments about, I'd feel a lot better if this game wasn't at Nippert Stadium. I and then mentioning it again at, at Media Day. Well, of course, um, of course, he's gonna feel better if it's not at Nippert Stadium. You, gotta, <laughs> you guys don't, you guys don't lose there. He's uh, he's radiating confidence. Yeah. Uh, um, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was gonna bring that up because I find the comments funny. Because has he actually played at Nippert when it's? I mean, it's gonna be a nip, it's gonna be a hybrid nip at night situation. You know, four p.m. tip off about you know 40 minutes in the lights are the lights are already going to be on but you know, they're going to be shining full force and the crowd's just going to be going ab- absolutely insane uh, it would have been um, his, his first year at west virginia he was that was their last year in the big east um did they play y'all in morgantown that year or cincinnati you know i actually managed to go look that up but i i don't i don't recall off the top of my head but maybe we'll try and get that before the end here um i'm excited for dana i'm excited for for his first nip at night should be a good time. If we're going to kind of wind down the football talk, where, where's your head at Sam? What's, what's your expectation for the game? Do you have a prediction for the game? And then Hummer usually likes to challenge everybody who comes on the podcast to some sort of friendly bet. Ooh, my thoughts to this game. I think, like I said earlier, I, I think since he is justifiably, I didn't see it right now. I think the last time I looked, it was like 10 and a half. Uh, I think it opened at 10 most places. I think that number, that number is about right, given what Cincinnati has been this year and what Houston's been this year. I don't, as much as there's no situation where I feel great about uh, playing at Cincinnati, a team that it's been, it's been over four years. Uh, Major Apple, I was in his first year as head coach here. The last time y'all lost there, uh, Kelvin Sampson had not been to an NCAA uh, tournament here. So it has been, wow. it's been quite a bit since y'all have lost there. So I think <laughs> Any game you play against Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium, I, I think you have to realistically, you know, talk to yourself as a fan. It's just like, hey, like these, this team doesn't lose very often here. This team, I think you've certainly seen the last two weeks at home against SMU and last week against ECU. That ECU game might not strike some as a perfect effort, but I think given given that they had their first really good on-campus atmosphere at ECU in many, many years, 
for this one and actually had a you know good a decent team on their end of things to play the top five team that since he was able to come out of that game win it and really never looked like they were going to do anything but win the game I think you've really seen a different Cincinnati team these last two weeks I think if you'd seen the last two weeks of since he you know did some degree of barely surviving SMU or did some degree of barely surviving ECU you know I feel decent about this one but I think seeing where the Bearcats have been the last two weeks, knowing how this Cougar offense, you know, what they do well, what they don't do well, and what the Cincy defense does well, which seems to be just about everything. Um, I'm happy this team is in this game. My hope for this season was that the Cougars would be the best non-Cincinnati team in the league. And I think pretty undebatably they've been the best non-Cincinnati team in this league you're never you're never gonna feel you're never gonna feel great about a matchup against Cincinnati at Cincinnati. I know I've said some variation of that three or four times already, but that's kind of where my head's at on this one. Do I think that there's no possible way the Cougars can win this game? No, no, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say that, and I don't think I don't think y'all would say that either. Yeah, I don't think, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's 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 a lot that can happen. Yeah, uh, you know this is this is a big game. There's a lot of a lot of storylines going on too, but. Um, Dana Holgerson has never played at Nippert Stadium when it is full. He played at Paul Brown Stadium in 2011 uh, as a member, as the head coach of, of West Virginia. Interesting. Um, so, yeah, he did not play in Nippert. Um, so, you know, I think that's definitely going to give us a, a little bit of an edge. He might be a little shook there because he's like, you know, last year might have been the shot. You know, empty, empty nipper could it could it could have destroyed Dez's Dez's streak, um, but yeah, that's that's actually something too. Knock on wood, Dez has never lost uh, at Nipper Stadium. So yeah, so I, I think to go full circle, I think I think Cincinnati is a very justifiable justifiable. I don't know why it was so hard to say uh, favorite in this one, and I don't hate though that the, the Houston staff all week can tell them, hey. You know, tell players no one thinks you're going to win. Everyone's preordaining Cincinnati. Whatever, whatever they have to say to motivate this group of guys, I don't hate that. But I mean, it's a, it's a real difficult matchup. It's it's a team that we match up with bad in a lot of ways. A, a packed house, a team that's really sniffing the first uh, group of five playoff berth, and you know, in the history of this current playoff system, really, you know, going back to that, to the BCS, that, right? Hmm? You guys don't really want to be the ones who spoil that. I was just wondering that, you know, like, do you almost, would you almost feel like a sense of guilt about ending that, that, his, that history being made? If you I love you guys, pull- but no, <laughs> I did. And, and believe me, and to be clear also, if U of H had been like the third or fourth best team this year, and it was, you know, well, if it was UCF or Memphis or whoever, I'd be rooting for you guys. I do want to, I, some part of me, that's, it's not a, a terrible consolation if we lose this game, to be like, okay, well, now I get to watch Cincinnati be one of the, the best four teams in the country. And I, I do, I would feel good in, in a hypothetical Cincy win that my team's had a strong enough season that that I think would, that a win here for you guys would, I think, pretty much cement. I, I don't I don't think beating Houston um, is going to be viewed um, negatively enough that it's going to knock you all out of the top four. So still, all that all that being said, I am, I'm a Houston Cougar fan first and foremost. And I would expect the same from you guys if we were the top four team right now and since he was coming in here, you know, I was like, well, you guys, you guys want to see us do well, right? And it's like, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't mind you guys. I, I'd like to see you guys do well, but 
I, I would also, I, I would love the upset, even if, uh, even if I have not radiated confidence tonight, that I think it's going to happen. Anyone yeah, we would Central definitely Florida. be, we would, yeah, we would definitely be doing that. The only time I, yeah, I couldn't root for central Florida. Uh, I don't know what it is. I feel like they're becoming, you know, I think in basketball, I looked at, and this isn't just to, to honk, toot your guys' own horn, your horn a little bit, but I think you guys are the biggest rivalry we rivalry we have in the American Athletic Conference. Just you know, going back and forth the last few years, maybe not last year, but you know, going back and forth conference tournament, uh, the history that we have there. Yeah, uh, football UCF. I just find their fans obnoxious way more so than than my own Cincinnati fan base, which I know you know we have big mouths. I'm, we're proud of it. Um, but I just cannot stand University of Directional Florida uh, fans. I was gonna say UCF fans have a reputation. You say this is the first time hearing of this. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. So as as a fan of a, a program that has had their coach or two poached, and and we're not for this isn't foreign to us either. Obviously, Luke Fickle has been connected to this Notre Dame opening. Mm-hmm. It, I don't, I mean, as of, I've, I haven't really looked at Twitter since starting to record this podcast. So I have no idea if, if Pete Thamel's it's still, in, it's still us. in, it's still in full, full meltdown mode over in right. Cincinnati land. Well, okay. Uh, but let me, so let me ask you this, like outside looking in, are you someone who believes in the narrative aspect of this whole thing and that the team will be distracted and that it's a potential wrench to be thrown into their preparation for Houston this upcoming week? Does that actually lift your spirits at all or give you more hope the narrative aspect of this? I don't think so. I, 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 I'm not saying that I don't think Luke Fickle will potentially be interested in the Notre Dame job. Um, I, I think I think it's an extremely short list of schools he would leave Cincinnati for, which is why I think it was a brilliant hire when it was made. Because you know, if he succeeded here, there wasn't going to be a lot of places. You know, this is an Ohio guy through and through, so there weren't going to be a lot of places that he would want to leave Cincinnati for. But I do believe Notre Dame's on that short list. But I also believe that this guy's enough of a consummate professional and. I think intelligent enough to realize that, Hey, you know, it's, it's not every day that you have a team that's going to be one of the best four in the country, regardless of what school you are at. So I think fickle's enough of a professional that I, I don't think even if, or when, or whatever, he ends up getting connected to that job that, you know, even as, even as someone who lived through Kevin Sumlin completely duffing our conference champ conference championship game in 2011, after an undefeated regular season on our part and, you know, fucking off to AM a week later, I don't think this is a comparable situation. I, I, I really don't regardless of whether he goes or stays there. I, I think, I think even in a Cougar win, I don't think it's going to be from lack of preparation. I don't think we're going to see a Cincy team come out there and, you know, not look prepared for this opponent because we haven't really ever seen that the last several years. And I don't, don't see why this weekend would be any different. Well, I love to hear that. I mean, I, I feel the same way. I think that Luke Fickle does appear and has everything he said and done, all of his actions, all of his words do ring different than a Kevin Sumlin, than a Brian Kelly. And and those guys have their own, you know, I, like I, I highly respect Brian Kelly as a football coach. He's obviously a great football mind. He yeah. knows how to coach the hell out of a football game. But it's also very clear and apparent that when he's your coach, you don't have the same emotional connection to a coach like that. Like he... He's different. It's very much the Brian Kelly brand. It's very much the I, I'm, I'm a cold-blooded killer out here who's going to make the best possible move for myself whenever that yep. time comes. Fickle is a little bit different. It certainly helps that we're in the college football playoff as of now and that if everything breaks right this weekend and, and there's no you know, straight-up corruption or something like that, that 
uh, you know, being in the college football playoff and having a chance to legitimately win a national, a national championship uh, that should and could save the Bearcats from, from a 2010 situation with Brian Kelly um, or a Kevin Sumlin situation like uh, you guys had back in 2011. And I would also add kind of to, you know, add on to this as a Cincy, as Cincy fans here, I really do feel like y'all are in a no lose situation here. Either, you know, I, I either Luke fickle remains y'all's coach or, you know, or, or Luke fickle goes to Notre Dame. And I feel like you have basically his hire already out there and ready to go in Marcus Freeman. So I feel like, I feel like there's no bad scenario for you guys there. Bingo. And I think, I think that should be, that should be exciting that you, that you have, that you have a guy with ties, to the program with ties, to the state already lined up. And I don't think resources would be a problem to get him or that program promotes Marcus Freeman. And, you know, you, you have the guy who's won whatever absurd percentage of games Luke fickle has won here the last uh, several seasons. You, I think you just, you hit the nail on the head there. That's what we kind of been like. That's, that's what's allowing me to not have anxiety about Luke fickle leaving. Like, cause one, I think he's going to do it the right way. Like he's, I don't, I legitimately do not think he's going to take that phone call until after the season is finished and that the season being finished is defined as you know the bearcats either one they lose on saturday that will probably pretty much be the definition of the end of the season right uh, yep. two they win and we get knocked out of the playoff then maybe maybe he's taking that phone call which at that point you know i don't blame him either i, I honestly don't but like you said the fallback is more than likely we're hiring a guy who's Marcus Freeman, who not only does, does he have ties to the program, he knows the rec- some of these recruits on the team. He recruited them himself. He's, he's cut from that same clause, so I don't even think we would really miss a beat with the recruiting because he has the same inroads, the same connections that, that Fickle had. So, you know, it's, it would suck because Fickle's loved around here. But the good news is if we do win and we retain Fickle, you mentioned the short list of jobs. One, Notre Dame. Two, Ohio State. Three, anywhere in the NFL. <laughs> right. I think those, those are the three kind of gigs we're looking at. So as long as Ryan day is staying at Ohio state and isn't going to, to the NFL anytime soon, we could get another two, three years out of fickle before we legitimately have to start thinking about a coach. And that's be kind of crazy to see fickle go through a whole recruiting cycle and not just, you know, like Des Ritter wasn't his original recruit. Right. So now we get to see him have a full class to himself. And we actually, as Cincinnati fans have, we have not seen that a coach go through and have his own entire recruiting class be nothing but his guys. And I'm honestly, I would be, that's what I'm more excited about. And that's why I'm really holding out hope that Luke Fickle stays because I want to see that. Yeah. And I would, it's apples to oranges because it's basketball to uh, football, but it kind of reminds me of how we had, uh, we had Kellen Sampson, the, uh, the son of Kelvin Sampson, the associate head coach, the, at this point, the heir apparent to the UH basketball job, whenever Kelvin wants to retire and he talked about how you know recruits now when they go into living rooms and they go into high school gyms they don't know houston when houston basketball was bad they don't know houston basketball and houston had garbage facilities and you know 30 people uh at tip off for a game they only know the program as it is currently and i think you have that you know you mentioned des ritter but it's probably a pretty small number of guys even at this point who were either brought in at the beginning of fickle's tenure or I guess there wouldn't be a, would there be anyone left over from Tuberville? Maybe a couple. I'm not sure. Yeah, not, but, but either not, way, not yeah, that it's, or, not very, that it's I think a very low number. And, and even technically Fickle's staff had to, had to offer the scholarship yeah. to Des, but it was like that relationship was built actually by Zach Taylor, who's coaching the Bengals now. But um, 
no, I mean, I, I get what Hummer's saying. Like, it would be an incredibly unique situation to retain Fickle at this point, go through an LSU, Florida, Notre Dame, Oklahoma job site, job openings, and sort of hit the reset button saying, hey, we get to do this probably for another three years at least and uh, and keep keep the party going. Yeah, and, and you have this program now that's recruiting well and that basically everyone who steps in the building, it's no longer a, you know, we've had a couple good years in a row. It's just everyone this roster just about certainly by next year even if you don't even if you don't have fickle next year even if fickle does take the notre dame job and marcus freeman or whoever is running the show you still have a program where basically every player in that building all they know is excellence and that that kind of thing it's i think it's sport agnostic it's uh it's real positive yeah i mean it's it's incredible because we're looking at we're looking at some of the recruiting numbers and in like two years our projected this is all hypothetical because we don't know how recruits actually pan out but you know four four star defensive linemen you know have been recruited to the university of cincinnati and you know it's like seems like ever since this train has gotten rolling you see another four-star recruit and you know we're kind of it's almost like we're getting a little spoiled a little bit uh but it's fun and i just like you said i want to keep the party going they only know x they only know excellence and marcus freeman has the ability to keep the party rolling but luke fickle it would just be fun to watch him Watch him build it, and I'm not going to lie, as much as we, we definitely want to beat you, if we could pull off a national championship, I'd build a statue for him out front of, out front of Nippert immediately. Even if he was named the, the following day head coach of Notre Dame Fighting Irish, I'd still put a Luke Fickle statue out front of Nippert. Fickle on the lower back is, is more appropriate. Um, <laughs> look, I think, Sam, I think we're going to have a chance later in, in the season to, to really get you guys. Maybe as conference season comes up, we'll talk to you a little bit more in detail about the basketball team. Um, cool. Houston's obviously crushing it. I, I didn't I didn't warn Hummer about this. I didn't tell him we were going to do it, but I do think it's appropriate. Um, I want to remind Cincinnati Bearcat fans that the Houston Cougars are the team that is responsible for putting the final nail in the John Brandon coaching coffin. And so for that, sir, we thank you. We do that awkward thing where we clap on a Zoom, right? We golf clap on a Zoom. It doesn't do very well in audio. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm just applauding our. I'm just applauding our performance. Yeah, uh, oh. your second time in the season beating the Bearcats by more than 35 points. I'm looking forward to running it back with you with a team that actually defends, a team that protects the rim, a team that has some some level of toughness and pride. Uh, because what you saw last year on the court was was in no way, shape, or form an embodiment of what Bearcats basketball is about. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird. I mean, I just you know I've, I've been you know we've been in this league together long enough that you just you have a certain expectation um, for what Cincinnati Cincinnati basketball is. And I I kind of thought you know okay, well you know Mick, Mick Cronin took his four foot eleven ass out to California, but you know you'd still you'd still have something you know close to what you saw those years. And yeah, it was it was. It was pretty stark. I think stark's the adjective. I, I it was stunning. I, I was actually, I it just had to, I think my first post COVID vacation. Me and my partner and I went up to the north coast of California, and it just so happened to coincide with the championship game there. And as much as of Cougar basketball, it's like, all right, well, we're in the field. I will be at service by the time that the field of sixty eight gets selected. I'll I'll see how the game went, and I got service at one point and. So I think we were up by like 35 or something like that. I was just like, okay, I don't, I don't think I missed a classic uh, on this Sunday afternoon, but it's just shocking to see a team with Cincinnati on their uniform playing like that. And I think you see performances like that. And obviously news now has kind of, you know, confirmed, you got kind of an idea of what was going on behind the scenes there. But I remember actually going before that, I think it was a second to last game I went to before 
lockdown and everything. When when we beat Cincinnati at the Fertitta Center in the 2019 season, I, I just remember it just it felt off. It felt it felt like it wasn't the same Jaron Cumberland that I had seen the previous season. It felt like it wasn't the same team, even if even if the first year. Yeah, it just just it just it felt like there was a kind of there was a there was a tension between the guys in the court and the sideline. Then obviously we we found out the why on that I think uh, in pretty good detail last April when everything went out there. We did, and 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 the real the real kicker for that Houston game and the American Athletic Championship game was that the game was in, in it was such in disarray for for Brandon and the team, and I think you know whatever the lead was at that point thirty seven points thirty eight points uh, who keeps count at that point. Uh, Brandon starts storming off the court with seconds left in the game and leaves the team behind. And that moment, that's when multiple like players, parents came out, tweeted about how disrespectful and how off-putting it was. And then, you know, a week later, days later, you've got multiple players, his entire freshman class, basically, except Victor Locken entering the transfer portal. So uh, truly, truly a sad, humbling, uh, not a, not a moment that I want to recall and think fondly of, but something that we probably should thank you for. So I mean, at least it went badly enough that uh, that they pulled the plug on that after two years. Operation yeah, fail got... fast. Operation yep. fail fast is what we called it. Yeah, we <laughs> behind the scenes. That's what we. Uh, there was a point where we 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 started like, what do you want to say? Reading the tea leaves, if you would. And we were behind the scenes, like when we talked. You know, how you you probably call. You know, you're talking to your partner. And you're like, well. I don't really want this on the record, but we're going to call this operation fail fast. Like if, if we're, if he's going to fail, let's do it quickly. Get the, rip the bandaid off, get a hit new reset. guy in here and just yep. hit reset. Like we're already at rock bottom. It doesn't matter. That's where John Rostein had it wrong. By the way, rock bottom wasn't when we fired John Brandon rock bottom was losing to you guys by 40 and having John Brandon storm off the court without his players. That was rock bottom. We were on the way up when they fired John Brandon. Well, well said, Hum. That's a perfect place to kind of wrap, uh, wind it down here. Sam, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. I want to make sure that people know where to find the work you guys do. Um, so obviously you can go to anywhere you look for podcasts and, and search for the Scott and Holman podcast. Podcast spelled P-A-W-D. Um, what else do you want to plug while you're on the podcast, Sam? Just going to say, we're obviously we're going to be previewing uh previewing the show we are going to have you two gentlemen on with us so i hope i hope at least some of your uh, cincinnati fans tune in get our get our thoughts on this game it won't be, won't be dramatically different than uh, what we did here it's not like you're gonna tune into that i'm gonna be very sunny and optimistic and uh, predicting several touchdown victories but i think we'll have a, i think we'll have a lot of good stuff to talk about not only with you guys but thoughts uh, among me and my co-hosts we have we're gonna have our thoughts generally about the uh the aac and uh big 12 seasons uh, as they've been as well so Give us a listen. Like Zach said, we're everywhere. You get podcasts. We're on Twitter at SHPAWDcast. That's where we're most active. We have a Facebook page that I have not checked since, I believe, July. But if you want to like us on there, I'm I'm sure it would help uh, a little bit there. So that's where we were joking that you're you our twins uh, because we have a Facebook page, too, that is rarely monitored. And that's my fault. Um, that, that's supposed to be my responsibility, but it, it proves to be much, much of a challenge. Uh, and but guys, yeah, it's, it's called, it's called meta. It's meta now. now okay? Yeah. It's meta guys. <laughs> All right, Sam, well, we appreciate you coming on the podcast. Thanks again. And good luck this weekend. Thanks guys. I really appreciate it. We are now joined by the gambling expert himself at the Sam antics 
Sam Elliott is back on the podcast. Welcome. It's so good to be here. So great to be back with you guys to talk about a conference championship game. That's all we're talking about. That's all that matters, right? There's nothing else going on worth mentioning or talking about. Tell me the the player props here. Nothing, nothing else to be talked about here, but I do, I do want to put a visual but, in the folks real quick though, Sam, real quick. Well, people listening, they, they don't get to see you very often. We don't post video of these interviews, although we should, we should post these. It's actually something we've talked about doing and um, let's do know, it. I'm just, we are merely two men, but Sam, when he records these, he's in his garage, which I think I've told people before it's winter. So now he's dressed in full, like, like big thick winter coat put up jacket but the way you don't have a mic that's like stationed on a desk or on a stand or no he holds the kind of microphone that you clip to your shirt when you're doing a ted talk and he holds it in his hand and is swinging it around while he uh gleefully waxes on poetic about you know bearcats first quarter lines it's a beautiful thing it's a beautiful sight and i love seeing it every week it's my pleasure. <laughs> so what's going on to, this week, Sam? Sam, I'm where, to where, clip it on. where Sorry, do we there. start this week, sir? Where do we start? All right, I'm doing good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing great. I'm on a, I am on a Marcus Freeman level come up. Um, just riding a heater. So let's go. Congratulations. Thank you. Pay off the mortgage. <laughs> um, all right. Number four Bearcats hosting your number twenty-one Houston Cougars, riding an eleven also riding an eleven-game win streak, um, eight and four against the spread this year. Bearcats coming in at a ten and a half point favorite, uh, over under at like fifty-three, but like was trending upwards from there. Over under fifty-three, trending up. Instant reactions go. Instant reaction is that's a pretty modest line. Now, if you look at pro football focus, they would tell you that Houston is as strong as the Cincinnati Bearcats in terms of how they grade out offense, defense, everything else. People love that quarterback. My tune. Yes. They, they love, they love singing his tune. Um, Oh my God. I'll show myself. Get out. But (laughs) I would say, to me, it seems a bit light when you consider how well the defense has played these last two games against East Carolina and SMU. And that's important because these are two teams that operate in a much more traditional type way than, than Tulsa or Tulane or, you know, and it's Tulane with a freshman quarterback who's like thrown one pass in his life and it's right. Navy who runs a triple option. So I think as we shift back into normal, normal football against teams who have some level of aggression in the passing game and think they can do things in that way. Well, I think that actually favors our, our, our pass defense and puts Mike Tress on a better position to have more success on that side of the ball. And I should just say even more success because it's a dominant unit. They've been dominant now for two, two plus years and uh, this should be no different. So Houston has probably one of the weaker running games and with tune having to pass the ball more, doesn't that seem like it would naturally add up to, a better, more advantageous matchup for the Bearcats? Yeah, Houston, ask ask Tanner Mordecai how that went for SMU. Thank you. Um, I, I think 10 and a half, I was, I don't know. I was surprised it's not closer to two touchdowns as well. 
And then like my my favorite my favorite bet of the week here. Let's just I'll get right to it. This one hit last week too. Uh, I had it as and here we go. Bearcats first half minus six and a half. Lock me in. I think we can get it. <laughs> we got a touchdown lead at the half. Easy, easy. Hummer, Over under for, for the first well, half. Hang on, half. hang on, hang on. Hummer just made a face that he had something provocative to say, almost like he was in disbelief, and then he just remained silent. What happened there, Hum? What happened? Uh, I couldn't tell one if I was going to have to sneeze again, but two, you said six and a half, and you, with such conviction, said, yes, the Bearcats are taking a touchdown lead uh, in the halftime. Easy. I like your enthusiasm and I'm going to freaking match it. I'm taking that as well. Uh, I think the Bearcats are going to go in. Uh, we're going to score early. We're going to score often. Defense is going to make a, make a, a, make a turnover or two happen. And I think we're just going to continue doing what we did the last two games and that stuff the run. So uh, give me the six and a half on that, on that uh, halftime lead. You know what though? Did you say there was a first quarter bet in there? Because I'm sticking away from. I'm staying away from no, those. You, I'm you know, those. Sam I loves his away. first quarters. Nope, I'm done with those. But it's mine. It's Bearcats by three and a half. I don't like it this week. I'm yeah, staying away. Yeah, that's a touchdown, man. I got to I got to I got to get rid of that. But real um, high first quarter, really high first quarter over under twelve and a half. Then the halftime for uh, over under was twenty seven and a half. I lastly, think we're gonna win by lastly, the team totals, Bearcats. Uh, it's right at like 32 and Houston sitting at like 20 and a half. I, okay. Okay. I I'm very, I'm very heavy on Bearcats right now. Now I asked, uh, we had Sam from the um, Scott and Holman podcast, a Houston focused podcast. It's a very good pod. Um, I've listened from time to time when things are um, when Houston relevant things are happening in our life which is happening this week. And he, I asked him about the narrative um, around coaching disruption and, and all the questions being asked of Desmond Ritter and other players on the team and all the bad, awful thoughts that might be floating through their brains. Do you, either of you buy into that narrative type talk? Like, is that something that's going to influence the Bearcats ability to focus on a game plan and execute on the field? Not at all. Um, you know, we've been doing it, saying this all year. In Fick, we trust. I trust that Luke Fickle is focusing on Houston, not on South Bend, Indiana. And that's all I got to say about that. I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I would sure hope so. But look, after the past week of Lincoln Riley to USC and Brian Kelly to LSU, I mean, absolutely nothing in college football can or will ever surprise me anymore Look, so, brian brian kelly's sitting there blow thinking, it all up i'm ready I to see what happens two of these teams to lose to get into the playoff like it's so it's two of four he needs two out of four things to happen right and it's so that his, his odds are so remotely distant that is he's like you know what screw this i've coached the knees before i get crushed every time I'm going to go down to LSU and get a jump start on my recruiting because I'm Brian Kelly and I only care about myself. So no, I'm, I'm, I'm not worried. And fickle, we trust. I, and 
he's been saying it all week. The players say it all week. Is it a distraction? I don't know. I haven't seen any of the players really, you know, it's been pleasantly silent on Twitter from the Bear Bearcats locker room. Yeah, if no news – is no news good news? I, I don't know what to think or how to feel. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about this roster, though. 2020 was as disruptive and chaotic as a season could be, and we saw across the country many a team get pulled apart That's a good and, point. And, and, and have their seasons tanked because of the disruption of COVID-19. You know, the restrictions around what players could and couldn't do – how miserable their personal lives were like, this was something that truly did affect players. And it was a real life thing. And if, if our team, which went undefeated during the regular season and then barely lost to Georgia on the peach bowl, I would say one of the defining traits of that team and the culture of this team is, is their mental toughness. So if there's one thing that we have, it's mental toughness in spades. And it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a veteran roster. Des Ritter is a quarterback who's won more games than 99.6% of other quarterbacks in college football history. It's probably 99.9 to be it's honest wild. with you. It's, it's wild. An, it's an insane statistics. Um, and you've got seniors galore across defense and offense alike. So I think the mental fortitude of this team and this program and Luke Fickle's ability to at least portray himself to be a hermit who doesn't know what the internet is, you know, I think those yeah. things are helpful and, and give us it, it it makes it so that this team is likely going to remain dialed in and they will be ready to show up in front of an absolutely bonkers nipper crowd, which I got tickets to, and I am very excited about. Um, Look at you. It's going to, it's going to be a, a monumental occasion that our players will be up for. I'm confident in that. All right. Well, if that still happens, look, not yeah. Notre Dame does still have a chance to squeak in there. How fun would that be? Sands Brian Kelly. Um, yeah, it would, yeah, that would be strange. We that, talked I about mean, him needing to. That will hit. He Notre Dame needs two out of four things to happen. It, it's not gonna. They're not gonna get Bearcats lost to Houston, but they absolutely need a Georgia beatdown of Alabama. That line sitting at minus six and a half, holding strong right at that number. Um, should we should we talk about the chance? Um, that the Cincinnati Bearcats coached by Marcus Freeman meet Luke Fickle's Notre Dame fighting Irish in the national championship game. Is that a prop that's out there anywhere? <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm not, sorry. No, I, don't, not, I should not, not talk. I about should that. not joke about such a serious situation. I'm sorry. We're not talking about that. Don't speak that into existence. That uh, would mean we're in the national championship game. We are in the national championship. Yeah. We're in the national championship game. Yeah. Um, and if you were right, one, so the, other one few, the other big one would be RSVP. <laughs> the other the other big shakeup could be if Iowa can pull the upset against number two Michigan as ten and a half point underdogs, um, which is like it's interesting. Like Michigan and Cincinnati are both favored by ten and a half in their respective conference championship games. Which do you feel more confident about? <sighs> hmm. Teacher, can you repeat the question? Bearcats or Wolverines, who are you more confident covers the 10 and a half in their respective conference championship games? I feel more confident in the Bearcats covering their 10 and a half. In fact, I feel quite confident that Iowa is going to 
keep that game close and possibly be a threat for upset special because I don't think Michigan is allowed having nice things. And I think I that they're on, they on, they on too much of a high right now. Things are going too well for Jim Harbaugh. He's he, it actually is it's an incredible gesture to give his bonus this year to sort of people in the athletic department affected by COVID, you know, COVID-19 reductions in salary or, or layoffs and things of that nature. I think that's an incredible Strong gesture. Move. You think, do you think um, Brian Kelly would do that at LSU for the 20 people who lost their jobs <laughs> during the COVID-19 pandemic? Will he use oh, some of that, that. $9.5 million? <laughs> I don't yeah, think I'm so. Sure. Brian, Brian Kelly's a great guy. So here, here's the thing with, with Houston. I almost want to say we kind of don't really know what we have with Houston because their schedule included the stalwarts that were Texas Tech early in the season, which we know was losing a lot. That was the that was Houston's only loss of the year. They played Rice, and then they played Grambling. Uh, those were that that will wrap up the non. Sorry, we in, in UConn that that wraps up their non-conference slate of Mighty opponents. UConn. So that we haven't really seen them play anybody outside of who we played, which these teams, the only one Houston or SMU of being really, you know, any kind of consequence of being decent. Everyone else is kind of in that, that, that trash, trash uh, bin that we call the American athletic conference. So it'll actually be interesting to see what we do to a team like Houston. Um, are they, you know, I don't really know what we, what we're getting from them. If that makes any sense, you know what I mean? Like we haven't really seen them play anybody really good where we know that we went in and stomped at least one really good team being, being um, Notre Dame. I mean, so we got one under our belt, but then we also know we also beat the same SMU team by, by a much wider margin. So I, I still agree with you guys. I think that we are the most likely to cover the 10 and a half because we're the Bearcats. Houston, uh, Houston is also playing in the American athletic conference. And we know it's we been have mismatch city. The Ala- we, we know we have the Alabama effect right now where we just have much better athletes on the, on the Absolutely. field. Right now. And Houston's a um, team that does historically have some better talent. I mean, they've got NFL guys. They've got an NFL pipeline of sorts going over there down in Houston. Um, but I would say that by and large, it's been, when you look through Houston's schedule, it's an incredible season for them. 11 and one started off the year with a defeat at the hands of Texas Tech. They haven't really been tested since then. SMU is their biggest and toughest game, and they won the game on a kickoff. I, I get it. We've seen it as Bearcat fans at games ebb and flow, but when you look at our results game in, game out in this conference, even in our worst performances, our nitpicks are about lack of style points. They gave you know, up a touchdown the Temple. <laughs> they gave up a touchdown and a two-point conversion to Temple. Temple reached the end zone twice. That's harsh. That's harsh, Hummer. That's harsh. Unbelievable. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I like the Bearcats a lot more to cover ten and a half, and I think that that's a pretty interesting number. I don't know if that means the you know Vegas is if it's a lack of respect for Iowa or uh, a little too much respect for Houston or maybe a lack of respect for Cincinnati. It just seems like maybe a combination of all of those things. Absolutely, especially and yeah, you got to figure. I you got to kind of like Iowa plus ten and a half. You know us. We're addicted to parlays on this podcast. I'd probably like to parlay an Iowa and Cincinnati cover together, holding hands. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Uh, At that point, though, you'd be better off parlaying the, I feel like the 
Iowa money line because I think that's a game <laughs> Michigan's actually going to lose, not only just cover. <laughs> oh man, you just we're just addicted to chaos. We're just Beautiful. addicted to it. We're never going to quit it. We know well, the, other, well, the one. The it one, sucks. We still, we still, we we know that we still need chaos. Unfortunately, if you're listening to Gary Barta's comments today on the playoff rankings, it was absolute garbage. Basically, saying something akin to when asked if Iowa State could jump UC, well, they have a lot of good wins lately. They would, they would have a lot of quality wins. Yeah, you engineered them to have good wins, right? Like you have Utah. Or not? Is it, who 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 do we have here? We have some three lost teams. We have Clemson. Lowly Clemson is climbed back up into the rankings with their three losses. Like, what is this? Being ranked ahead of Houston, absolute dog shit. But I digress. Uh, that's what that's just what I'm doing, man. I'm going to take Iowa on the on that parlay. I'm taking Iowa on the money line. You see on the cover. I like it. I want the reverse cover bonus. <laughs> what else do we need to chat about, Sam? Where, where, where else is your head at? I think you've said you've got fire takes to get off your chest. Oh, God, he's put the cap on. Not that fire. I mean, I liked where, I liked where your head's at with Iowa plus the 10 and a half. Uh, I think Georgia's going to get it done and stick and beat Alabama by at least one touchdown to cover their six and a half. And but the one that I the other like shred of help that I really do think the Bearcats could get is number nine Baylor knocking off number five Oklahoma State to keep them from keep the Cowboys from nipping at since he's heels. Uh, Baylor's get Baylor's getting five and a half in that game. Give me the give me the Bears. <laughs> yeah, I, that's one where I'm I'm much less certain. I don't know. I don't know who's actually good in the Big 12. I don't know if anyone's actually good in the Big 12. That, that's what's, that, what we need. We need – that's what we need. I, it's funny. When you're in the, the position of the Cincinnati Bearcats where everything seems to have broken our way this season, you know, we've needed, we've needed help because of how this whole system works. It's not meant to be a dig or a criticism at our team, but we – uh, where we are in the conference we're in and, and the perception and the league courses of the world, we needed help. And we got it in the forms of Oregon losses and Ohio state losses and Oklahoma, et cetera, et cetera. And it still feels like even at number four, heading into a situation where we know a team in front of us and in all likelihood, it's going to be Alabama, the number three team. We know that a loss is going to come from that game. And we still feel like, yeah, Georgia has to do their thing and they flipped Notre Dame and Ohio, Oklahoma state, which means they're setting the table for that old, you know, yeah. uh, switcheroo in the final rankings, which by the way, can you imagine my fear is that that's incredible drama. That's an incredible debate on talk shows. You can already see it in your head. It's disgusting. And I'm going to stop talking about it. I don't even want to go there, but, but the reality is I do still feel compelled to root for chaos. Look, it, it, here's here's the reality. If we were to do a parlay of Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma, and who else am I missing? Those 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 are those are four four games, right? Those are four games State. I care about. Mm-hmm. Oklahoma State. That's four games. We have not gotten a single parlay right all season when it comes to what's good for the Bearcats. Well, that one isn't yours. That's not even the ultimate. I know. Hear, hear, my, hear me out here. This is the 
what could go wrong for the Bearcats parlay? Kind of, oh, right? Yuck. That is Alabama wins, Michigan wins, Oklahoma State wins, and the Bearcat wins. There, there's, there is a potential for chaos that we don't like in that situation. We haven't gotten a single, yeah. like we've gotten games in there, right? But the reason why we haven't gotten right is because there's chaos, right? We're rooting for extreme oh. chaos. There's some I, chaos. There's going to be some chaos between those games. There's I going refuse, to be chaos. I refuse to profit off of the most painful moment in Bearcats history, if that's what happens. I refuse. No, no, to no. Prof- my point I, is, well no, said. I'm not saying we bet that. I'm not saying we make that bet. What well, I'm pointing out is, is that we know one of those four things is not going to happen. And <laughs> no, we can right. actually take no, one of them off the board four, because we know the Bearcats lives. are winning. So there's three. Three things that one of those three is not going to happen. All right. So well, here's what either Georgia's what it, winning and Alabama's out and we're in, we're moving up. Or we're going to see Baylor knock off Oklahoma or Iowa knock off Michigan. One of, one of those two is happening. All right. Well, here's the ultimate, like, be, absolute best case scenario, good for the Bearcats scenario. Bearcats win, obviously. Georgia on the money line. Iowa to pull the upset win against Michigan and Baylor to pull the upset beat Oklahoma state. You can get that at like plus 1970. Uh, so that would turn our 20, our lowly $20 into 414 and change. Bring it, bring it We're on rich, bring it up. That's how I'm going to pay for one night of a hotel on South beach or Dallas, Fort worth. Hell yeah, brother. Book your hotels in Indy now. All right, boys. Well, hey, I want to lock in. I didn't lock in anything in anything for this game. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm I'm gonna be straightforward. I am taking the Bearcats to cover ten and a half, and I am I taking I am taking the game over because I see this ending uh, with a final score. My prediction will be Bearcats forty. Uh, <laughs> Bearcats 42 Houston Cougars 21 we're doubling them up well you should be interested in the Bearcats team total over right at like they're sitting at right at 32 I should definitely be interested in that put put a third unit there we'll take whatever units I have left they're all going out there Jesus allocated allocate accordingly uh my imaginary negative units that have turned positive from lock them in. I'm, I'm, I'm overflowing with units after last weekend. We're going to par, we're going to parlay all three of those things. We're going to parlay all three of those outcomes. Bearcats with the win, Bearcats with the cover, Bearcats with the over Bearcats with the team over. Lock it in. Lock it in. I'm feeling good, fellas. You guys feeling good heading into the weekend, despite all the uh, I, national it's noise? Gonna be a str- I feel like I'm just going to be stressed. I feel like I'm just going to be tense. I'm going to need to. Welcome to sports, baby. Uh, I'm kicking back. Crocs on, hoodie on, sipping a LaCroix. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling great. Beautiful. Ready to have a good weekend. Sipping fellas. LaCroix. Uh... <laughs> I have no idea what song that's supposed to be, but fellas, let's uh, let's leave because it there. Is there a way to do like Lacroix and gin and juice? It's <laughs> a, a stretch. <laughs> a stretch. <laughs> Sipping on peach Lacroix. Laid back.
Bye, everybody. Cheers, guys. Go Bearcats. That's literally the worst ending we've ever had on a podcast, and I'm definitely... You got to leave it all in. All of it. Bye. (laughs) Ta-ta. Cheers. Pip-pip. Cheerio. Go Bearcats.